Welcome back to What's Your Favorite Scary Movie. I'm Sarah. I'm Verona. And today we are covering the last movie in our horror romance month. This is a movie that has been on our list to do since the inception of this podcast. It is a very special one. We really wanted to make sure we would do it justice because of how special this movie is to us. We originally planned to double bill this with All Cheerleaders Die when we were first kind of coming up with episodes like over a year ago, but it just fit in so perfectly for our first ever month of horror romances. Yeah, it's a movie that we've both been terrified but so excited to cover on the pod because it means so much to both of us that we did not want to like not do it justice um i'm still fucking scared because i'm like what if i don't say everything that i want to say right now because we often look back at past episodes and we're like oh i wish i would have said this or like something 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 but then sarah made a very good point it's our podcast and we can cover these movies as many times as we want you can consider that this is your warning that we're probably going to do another spiral from the book of saw episode maybe even annually. i was about to say an annual spiral episode why not Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama are such a dream team, and it's not that I really underestimated Megan Fox and didn't think that she was talented or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure I underestimated her a little because everybody did, but everything I'd seen her in up until kind of this point had been, you know, like she was the hot girl in an action movie, or she was kind of like doing these like funnier sort of parts, and then on the opposite end of that spectrum, she was doing maybe like a heavier drama here and there to like show her chops, I guess. And this was a little bit weird of a movie, at least when it came out, there wasn't as many movies like this playing in theaters. Like we had Juno, basically. And even I remember Juno going over a little weird with a lot of people. Very strange, like how much things have shifted into the kind of campier, slightly weirder stuff being a lot more acceptable mainstream now instead of a less common occurrence but at the time this felt like such a weird style of movie for Megan Fox to be doing and she blew it out of the fucking water like one of her best roles I really can't imagine anyone else playing Jennifer like anyone else in any of these roles actually it was so of its time and each person just like got their role they understood the movie like they understood every single thing but especially Megan like there's so many parts where we're watching it and we'd be texting each other about like some little like subtlety that she does that like a lot of people don't pick up on but we're like oh my god like like the way she watches needy in this scene or like the way she does this or like things like that that I'm just like oh my god like thank you Megan like you understood not only what was being written but also the subtext this movie is like so deeply important to both of us but like I remember when the trailer first dropped being in my room because I had a a desktop computer in my room and I would search the trailer and that the scene where her and Amanda Seyfried were kissing on her bed and I'd watch that over and over and over again alone in my room and then I would clear my search history and I never understood what that meant until I got older obviously and like came out and was like oh duh so I have this movie and like Diablo Cody to thank for being like, oh, I'm a lesbian. And I got to tell her that. And I think that's like one of my greatest accomplishments in life. The craziest thing to me about you meeting Diablo Cody and getting to talk to her at that Jennifer's body screening, she was so blown away by you having the tattoo and just like your excitement about the movie and how much you loved it and how you were just gushing about it and how you were saying how it was so important to you. 
And she was like so shocked. She was, you know, about how it wasn't even just you that would come up to her and say stuff like that. She was just like, I can't believe that people feel this way about this movie. Like, and she was so grateful and sweet. And I'm like, do you not like understand what you've made here? It's one thing to maybe not know what it's going to be before it's it's out there. And I do understand that it also had its box office flop to begin with. But over the years, are you not aware of how much this has like become so much bigger? No, literally. Even as the creator of it, like that's just so nuts to me to be that humble and surprised, I guess, by your impact. What an incredible person. I mean... Even now, one of the kind of main criticisms that I see when I see people talking about Jennifer's body is that just that since then, like, so much more like it has come out that maybe different individuals feel has been better or pushed things further or done more with the same kind of overall weird base to it. I, like, also don't think we would have gotten these things if not for Jennifer's body. Because so many people that I know that, like, are making these types of movies or put them out all of them say like oh my inspirations were like jennifer's body or like i used to love jennifer's body and like this helped create this this movie did so much for people and like she truly like does not comprehend that which is so insane to me because like she made little queer girls everywhere queer essentially (laughs) or at least made us all kind of realize a lot sooner it's just so funny to me that I mean, and everyone says this, but the movie about the succubus flag girl that is going around killing boys to regain her strength is such a special movie. It has such a special place in so many people's cinema memory, I guess. It's just crazy how it captured such a distinct feeling so perfectly. The relationship is such a distinct thing between Jennifer and Needy. It's so special to me that this exists. Like, I I really just can't get over saying that. I think about how formative it was for me. And I think about the fact that like this movie's not going anywhere now that it is such a big cult moment that it's there for so many other young girls now as well. 100%. And I think a lot of the people who don't understand this movie or that like the movie but also don't fully get it is because of the fact that they're not lesbians. And like you can still like this movie, obviously. But I see a lot of people misinterpret it in different ways and I'm like no like I get why you would think that but like no because it's a very specific experience that like of course we're gonna get because like we went through that for the people that like this was made for we just we get it and like the more I watch it the more it just seems to like understand me even deeper. One of the things that we had been talking about was how the representation for queer women is so oversaturated in media with just feminine couples where it's just like two very feminine cisgender women and like it's it feels so weird to complain as a femme lesbian and be like I want more representation because I feel like if I do I'm getting lumped in with the people that are like oh I'm so tired of all of the lesbian representation being butches I'm like where is that by the way show me very quickly five examples you can't but I feel like so much of the representation for femme lesbians specifically is like especially but not exclusively is that being feminine and like being a femme lesbian are not the same experience and if you take the experience of being a femme lesbian and you boil it down to just the aesthetic of being feminine and then you start oversaturating the market like that 
like who is happy at that point because not only are mask sapphics not having like any representation at all because they're getting pushed out by all of this like oversaturation the good chunk of your people that you're claiming to represent are really not being represented in like a deeper way with any kind of real understanding of what the femme lesbian experience actually is like because it isn't an aesthetic so one of the reasons that I just loved this one so much is because the experience felt a lot more real. It didn't feel like it was just boiled down to like, look, it's two hot girls. It was really more, I guess, the yeah, the more unique experience. You know, what's crazy, too, is that like differences between like feminine queer women and like femme lesbians. One, most femme lesbians I know are non-binary. For so long before I realized I was a femme lesbian specifically, I was just like, why does this not feel right? I was like, why... Does this type of femininity not feel like me? Like it felt very performative and just not correct. And then the second that I like embraced my identity, I was like, oh my God, I was like, this feels so much better. Like this feels like me. And I talked to you about that a lot as I've like recently been out in society again and like really made straight friends again, <laughs> where it was like they could tell that like something was different and I was like oh I can tell that you're picking up on that that's exactly how it feels watching femme lesbian representation is I'm like oh you just kind of think like it's a catch-all like being feminine and gay is like a universal experience like they all have the same experiences it's just a very weird thing and trying to discuss it at all is very hard because you're like towing the line because you're talking about it and you don't want to sound like one of those people that are like, being feminine is so hard because it's not. But at the same time, you're like, oh my God, like I, it's a very frustrating experience trying to speak on it, trying to live it. Like, yeah, it's not the experience of being feminine that's like just so frustrating and difficult. It's really just more like frustrating to never see your exact experience kind of in a character. And then to finally get that experience is like, how the hell did you do that? How did you know exactly how I felt and how I feel and capture it exactly like you did? That's crazy. Yeah. Everybody watch Bound and read Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Feinberg. Thank you. Um, and I made the joke while we were watching this. I was like, if Jennifer had just met one butch lesbian, her entire life would have changed. We should also talk about the misconception of Jennifer being like a super mainstream popular mean girl. She's not. And I hate when people miscategorize her as a popular mean girl because she's not. She is technically a loser. She's not even the most popular girl at her school. We don't see the most popular girl at school because that's not important to the story. We don't see that group She's in flags. She's not even a cheerleader. She's in flags. Like, do we understand that? I think people misunderstand that part of her character because she's hot, but that's the whole point of this character. She's hot. She's not really being looked at. She's doing all these things with like these different guys before the demon, obviously. But she's doing all these different things with guys because she's a small town girl who like randomly became hot and like, doesn't really know how to handle that, but she is also still from a small town. I love that about her. That's so important to her character. Her being like Regina George, like head bitch, wouldn't make sense. It's like really similar to how we talk and like they talk about Kirby in Scream 4, like very recently hot vibes. Hot, exactly. Yeah, I was about to say, that's another thing. She 
was literally on MySpace looking up this like small band, Low Shoulder, and finding them coming into their city. And even the way that like Adam Brody talks about her when he's talking to her about his bandmate, you can tell like State Fair about her, like he nails it perfectly. I remember literally when I was in the hospital last year, like high off my ass, this one nurse came in and he saw my tattoo and he's like, oh my God, is that from Jennifer's body? And I was like, yeah. And then I started talking about it to him and then started getting into like how she was a loser. And he was like, no, she was popular. And I was like, no, she was not. And here's what, and I like went through it. Mind you, gone, running a fever, like been in this hospital for like two weeks at that point, like just gone. This poor man. I took it all out on him. I don't fully remember the conversation, but I remember it lasted uncomfortably too long for like a nurse patient interaction. Um, I'm very passionate about this movie. And when this movie came out, I was in middle school. I was young and I also lived in a small town and I was also considered the weird kid that was like into the weird emo bands, like Fallout Boy. So this was like right before my glow up which is such a stupid phrase to use for literal children because you're not ugly, you're just a child. And so like, I fully lived what I know is Jennifer's experience pre-getting hot. Like it was a small town, like we had two high schools, you went to one of them. We had like two middle schools, two element, like two of everything. And even then the other one was like on the outskirts. So like, I understand and I got her. I understood her. I lived her life pre-Jennifer's body. Had I still lived there in high school, that would have been me. Anyways, that bitch was not popular. And But I love her. And that's, like, such an important part to her character. She doesn't know how to handle all this because she's, like, newly hot. Also, like, pre-Succubus transformation, all of the guys that she was hooking up with that, like, were all over her were, like, grown men. And... I am in no part putting any of the blame on young girls who end up getting like groomed by older guys when they're in high school. But I remember being in high school and thinking like that I would see other girls who had, you know, that were like 16, 17 and they had like 25 year old boyfriends. And I was always like, that is so weird because I wouldn't consider that girl like really popular or cool or hot or whatever. Like, why does she have a 25 year old boyfriend? Shouldn't, you know, the hot, like cool, popular girl have the 25 year old boyfriend? And then, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, of course they wouldn't because the cool hot 17 year old in my high school was dating cool hot 17 year olds the 25 year old is going for like the vulnerable target who's not maybe getting as much attention from her peers like no shit and again added in the fact that this is a small town like that's the biggest part of it is that a lot of these men are like men who are not going to ever accomplish anything, who are stuck in their dead-end small town and who are like bitter and angry about that. None of the girls their own age want them because they grew up with them and they saw what they had going on and they didn't want any part of that or they left. So what do they do? They go after the young and vulnerable girls that they could get and that they could grab and people like Jennifer who were not entirely confident in themselves and who were seen as easier targets they went for them also chris pratt is like unfortunately very good in this role he really sold like douchey small town wannabe cop not even an actual cop who like skeeves on 17 year olds it's nuts how well cast it was um every time he pops up in this movie i'm like oh my god jump scare like I get so scared because I forget he's in it. And then there he is. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
but he does fit like small town loser cop so well. Pretty cop. Cadet. Just, by the way, that scene later when Jennifer says, um, I have the cops in my back pocket, I'm fucking a cadet, is so fucking funny. I love her. Like, that is literally such a loserly thing to say. I love her. My little loser princess. She, okay, is the same as Cheryl Blossom season five to me. Loser lesbian princess. I love you so much. I would also like to say that I love Chip and Needy so much. Like, out of the sapphic horror romance movie, picking out the token straights to give them their moment, I just, I have to. They're so, so cute. They're so tender. I love the conversations that they have with each other, like their shared interests. They're just the sweetest little high school couple in the entire world, but none of it feels like forced or cliche. They're just like such a good fit for each other. They feel so natural. We also talked We also talked a little bit briefly about how it just works perfectly because they're in high school and like any other setting, it might have been like a little bit of a red flag that Chip is like so jealous, but I just think it's so cute because he's so jealous because that's like his nerd girlfriend and he just thinks she's the hottest thing in the world to him so he assumes that everyone else thinks that exactly it's so perfect oh my god and his little like oh i went to the super target and i picked up more condoms and he's like worried that she won't like the scent of glade candle that he's like burning in his room when they hook up like oh my god it's just so cute i'm like you are so 17 this is so sweet it makes me feel just like so nostalgic for how sweet and important everything felt when you were that age. It's just like, it makes me so happy. Very telling, the super target, such a small town thing to say. I'm so surprised that there wasn't like a scene of them all hanging out at the super target because that's how it was for us. We didn't go to super target though. We didn't have a super target. We went to Walmart. In the small town that I grew up in, our big thing was that on like the outskirts of our city, the neighborhoods were all like developing and there was a lot of new builds out there and it was always super dark because the lights like hadn't been put out there yet. So we used to love just hanging out in like the half built houses that like didn't have walls or like the office buildings that were just like completely empty that hadn't like been used yet. That was our kind of go to for hanging out. Same, except I was in middle school, so we wouldn't drink. We would literally just hang out in those like developing homes because it was Florida or all there were was like these like sprawling neighborhoods, like suburban neighborhoods with like new homes being built. And so we'd, every time we all met up, we would just go hang out in different houses. We'd go explore them. Like we'd play hide and seek in them. Cause like we were kids and like we had a fun time. I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. Can we just talk about the fact that hell is a teenage girl is like one of the most iconic opening lines of all time. And so true. But I don't think, cause a lot of people take it as like, they take it the wrong way. They misinterpret it. They think like girls are scary and horrible when really no hell is being a teenage girl it's just like that old post that's like you're like oh my god i'm so evil and insane and then you get a little older and your brain develops and you're like oh i was just 15 and a girl literally it's like being 15 a girl and going through unspeakable horrors that are like unfathomable to the human mind that really just damage the fuck out of that frontal lobe which is such a crazy and universal experience because like pretty much everyone I know that was like a girl in high school thought they were like insane and evil. Well, it turns out a lot of us just went through severe trauma and like had mental health issues and are usually neurodivergent. And gay. Let's get into evil Adam Brody. Our favorite. Adam Brody, I have a spec script for you. We have multiple for him at this point. If you would like to play another 
evil little guy. Have your people call me. Lee and Meester is like, he will. Oh, I love them. Anyways, the casting director really popped the fuck off with every single person in this movie, but especially Megan Fox and Adam Brody. They knew what they were doing there. Mindy Marin, do you need head? One of the best horror villains of all time, or like one of my favorite horror villains of all time. He's like so unspeakably hot in this role. Fun fact, he did not sing the songs for this movie, but he wanted to, and he was taking voice lessons, but he signed on to the project too late that they were like, we already have like the track, like we're just going with that. Give us Adam Brody's version, but also such a good voice match. Like I watch movies sometimes and they have like the worst voice match for like a a voice double. Like I think constantly about that horrible live action Bratz movie from like 2007 or something. I loved that movie. Love that movie. Love that movie. Literally some of the worst voice double matching I've ever seen in my life. This one, however, it took me years before I realized. And I have both of those songs on my phone because Through the Trees and In the Flesh, two of the greatest songs of all time. I wish that Low Shoulder had put out an actual album for this movie. Yeah, something like what Josie and the Pussycats did. Like, we deserve that. Another example of incredible voice doubling. Yeah, love. Um, because both of these rocked my fucking world when I found out that, like, it, that wasn't that person singing. And I was like, you're joking. It was devastating for a while, but... Oh my god, evil Adam Brody and Eyeliner, you will always be famous. Please do more horror like this, because, like, between this and Ready or Not, I'm like, you get it. Oh my god, Ready or Not... Just knocked the wind out of Sarah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that fan cam with him and Grace. Oh my god. I can't think about that right now. I have a job to do. I cannot think about that right now. Real. Also, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, this is like the official sign from heaven that I'm giving you right now to go watch the River Wild remake on, I think it's on Netflix with Leighton Meester and Adam Brody, obviously. Oh my god. One of the hottest couples of all time, like one of my favorite couples, just two equally hot people that I'm like, do you need a third? I'm not even into men, but do you need a third? That interview you sent me, it was so cute. I cried multiple times while reading it. Back to Adam Brody for one second. Fucking A right it is. One of my favorite lines in a movie ever, and it just plays in my head constantly. And I think he should have won an Oscar just for that. My personal favorite is when Needy asks, like, hey, you guys are from the city. How come you came all the way out to Devil's Kettle just to play a show for us? And he's like, oh, I think it's really important to reach out to our fans and, you know, like the shittier areas, too. He was so incredible for this role. It makes me mad that, like, we really didn't get more, like, of this kind of Adam Brody character, like, during this time. Because, like, obviously there was, like, the OC, but he played a very, like sweet boy and i'm like no i want him to be mean and i'm gonna end my sentence right there he just plays scummy in a really fun believable way that's the perfect perfect word for it also kind of one of my like last things to say on the low shoulder of it all one of my favorite little details is how in the beginning you can tell that their style is kind of just like more their own thing they're all sort of doing their own thing and then at the end of the film you see that they not only have like brand consistency, they have like a new logo, but they also have this kind of like corporate emo, like industry plant vibe going on. Like they don't look as like rugged. It's really cool. Like they have the money to do that. Yeah. Incredible logo, by the way. I remember years ago we were looking for like that sticker. 
We still need to find it because I want a bumper sticker for my car that says low shoulder. During the through the tree segment, there is that moment where Jennifer, while staring at the band, grabs onto Needy's hand, like instinctually. And Needy looks at it and then like looks at Jennifer and just watches her like in awe, admiring her while she's like watching this band. And every time my heart like melts a little bit because I'm like, oh my god. This was never about like unrequited love. Like it was very much, very much returned. They were both very obsessed with each other and very codependent on each other. And it's that joke about like, we've all had at least one like homoerotic codependent female friendship in high school. Like that's this movie. I was talking to Dom once and trying to figure out, like, I don't even know how we got on this topic of discussion, but I was kind of like trying to figure out if I could pinpoint the real moment that I knew that I was gay. And it's really difficult because I can think of like a lot of formative moments, but I was like, let me see if I can like pinpoint maybe when, you know, everything really happened. And it was difficult because even as like a small child, I was so drawn to women. Like I'm talking like as like a toddler, I was like obsessed with women. I wanted to be around like women and girls all the time. And obviously as like a toddler, it wasn't coming from like any kind of romantic inclination at all. But it was like this obsession with women that I had that I like distinctly remember having, (laughs) which is so funny. And like I said this to Dom, I was like, it's tough because I can't remember exactly like when that changed. And Dom was like, honestly, it probably like it didn't really change that much. Like it's not always one thing or another. Like those lines are quite blurred, like that transition from that platonic love or just like objective interest moves into romantic like so liquid like like it's impossible to tell those lines get blurred all the time and like you and I talk all the time about especially like in our friend group which is like almost all sapphic women our friendships are so intensely close and I think that like also plays into it right because it's not that any of us is like interested in one another it's just that we have this like very deep draw to each other as just like women in general and just like that bond that I think most sapphic women have with other women. Did you know that you're like, you're so hot and smart and funny and so correct. Thank you. No, but like even to this day, there's a lot of times where I find myself being like, oh my God, like, am I attracted to this girl or do I just like really want to be her friend? I'm not. I just like have such a deep love for women in like all aspects, like romantic, platonic, like everything that I'm like, no, I just really love you and want you to be my friend, which gets very confusing and like sucks. One of the points that we both agree on is this movie, um, Needy was always on Jennifer's side until Chip. And we both kind of were talking about how it could be taken as like women who center men in their lives will turn their backs on their fellow women in need, even the ones closest to them. And obviously this movie isn't like fully exploring that, but like- I agree with that, as you've said, but I also think there's like another side of exploration there where, especially in the finale, when Needy goes after first Jennifer and then Low Shoulder, it's like in defense of herself to go after Jennifer almost, and then in like defense of Jennifer to go after Low Shoulder, of course. But also with Jennifer killing Chip, something that like really sticks out to me is that the obvious reaction is that it's like, you know, Jennifer's always jealous of the people that are taking up Needy's time. We see that. But at the same time, I think for Needy, there's this moment where she realizes that like, Jennifer knows her obviously more than anyone else. And she did that with the intention of hurting Needy. 
without trying to hurt her directly. Because we hear Jennifer talk about how she didn't want to hurt Needy. So she ends up going after Chip. And I feel like for Needy, she's like, there's two options here. You are either doing this because you know it will hurt me, which means that you are now at the point in like the transformation of all this where you want to hurt me, which means you are too far gone because Jennifer would never do that. And the other side of that is like, you are actually such a bad friend that you did this so selfishly thinking that it would be like a petty act to hurt me and not understand that it would like ruin everything for me and completely rock my world. Neither option there is a particularly good one. So I feel like it's not only an act of revenge and it's it's also just this idea that she's like, okay, there's there's no chance of saving her now. There's no way of helping her. We cannot come back from this. Not just because she's being a bad person and she's acting like a monster, but because like there's no Jennifer left in there if she's willing to do this to me. First off, one, I'm not saying that Needy specifically is someone who centers men. Um, just that this is like kind of in that territory, like kind of a theme in this movie. But two, it's very funny looking at how they both view going after Chip. Like you mentioned, that's how Needy views it. Jennifer is a lesbian, so she views it as like getting him out of the way so that she can get to the one thing that she truly wants. And she believes that like, if Chip weren't in the picture, that like her and Needy could be together or something more, or or just that he's like the wedge between them. Because obviously throughout the movie, we see how Chip talks about Jennifer and she knows that and she like kind of plays into it, of course. Like, you know, she has a little back and forth with him. But there's that thing when you're a lesbian and you're friends with someone who has a boyfriend, they don't like you. Even if you're not out yet, they know that there's something a little different and they hate it. And so it's this tug of war of needy between the two. And that just is so not how needy views the situation. Like Chip is an important part of her life. Yeah. She loves Chip. But then of course, Jennifer's like, well, if he wasn't here, we'd be way happier. And needy's like, no, like I'm very, I'm very happy with him. Like I love him. He's awesome. I like, you know, they obviously like, Jennifer and Chip don't get along, but like you said, there's like a little back and forth. It doesn't seem to be like a huge weighing issue in needy's life. Chip doesn't seem, like, deeply bothered by Jennifer either. He's kind of just like, God, what an annoying bitch. But, like, that's pretty much it. But for Jennifer, it's like, this fucking asshole is, like, ruining my quality time with his girlfriend. Yes, yes. And also just the fact that Jennifer, before killing him, she's pursuing Chip. Same with Colin. She only goes after Colin once Needy is complimenting him and saying, like, he's good. Then Jennifer's like, oh... Oh, let's go into, because one of the things you said was she was mean to boys, not needy, like unprovoked mean to boys, which I can go into heavy detail. And I will when the mics are on. Yes. Oh, my God. So with boys specifically, but like never with needy and never with like any of the other girls, even that she like so briefly interacts with in the movie, just like unprovoked, so cruel to them, like almost out of left field. There's that moment when they're in the biology class, like the night after it happens where Jennifer's just being so mean and Needy's like what's wrong with you today like she's so confused by it because it's very out of left field like she's like this doesn't feel like Jennifer yeah and like the fact that it's specifically these guys who like are into her and like also it's not even just that they're like being pests all the time and like trying to pick her up and she's not into them like these are men that she's like slept with that she's just so mean to them like all of the time right to their face as she should be well, right. But then on the other end, it's like, it, it gives off this like kind of feeling like she's just trying to like fulfill the role of being a mean girl. Like it's so unprovoked and kind of random, but like she's so sweet 
with needy in her kind of weird sort of mean jennifer way but like it definitely doesn't feel like she's an authentically like cruel girl and that also just does come across as gay to me and i know that a big chunk of that is probably my own projection because i know that that is how i talked to boys who were really doing me like no harm after I was kind of coming to terms with my sexuality. And this is how we circle back to Kirby Reed as a lesbian. Exactly. But it's just like this kind of like marker of like grappling with your sexuality. And that of course doesn't mean that straight girls aren't also capable of being kind of randomly mean. With that being said though, even though the acts of meanness are kind of random, the people that she's mean to like, she's very very deliberate and you even had you know mentioned with needy and how needy's like this is not how you treat me like why why are you acting like this jennifer like exclusively is mean and like cruel and taunting to people that find her completely irresistible like specifically these men that are just like in love with her as she's walking by so it's kind of interesting to me that not only is it like the obvious irritation and like everything's heightened from the like i guess adrenaline of the attack but also when she starts being mean to Needy is when she has, like, the succubus in her. And also when her and Needy's connection is, like, heightened. Like, she can, like, you know, feel what Needy's feeling. Like, they have that, like, telepathic kind of connection to one another. That's when she starts being mean to her. And it's almost like she's kind of, like, coming into the realization that she and Needy are tied together intrinsically now. So it's not like she's foreseeing Needy going anywhere if she's mean to her. Kind of similar to how she can just be mean to all these guys that are in love with her because they're not going to stop being in love with her and following her around. So many fucking layers. Also, main point in this being, they're in high school. So much of this movie, when you're like getting mad at like little parts of it or like little things that the characters do or say, it just boils down to they're in high school. Like a tiny little thing in between this. Colin singing, I can see clearly now. One of my favorite parts, just the way he says the word bright at that part scratches my brain so correctly kyle galner i love you i hope you're in horror movies forever this was at the same time that he was doing that nightmare on elm street remake this was that era and just to come out officially on the pod i don't hate that remake it kind of felt like we were gonna have him everywhere for a minute there in horror and then it kind of died off and then now he's having another little resurgence and he's been like on twitter tweeting at like every director that's like got new stuff coming out or like is revamping their old stuff and he's like please please I want to do this it's gonna be so good like I will do such a good job please and I'm like we should listen to him hire him and I love him for that they should put him in that um that scene though leads me to believe that he was like an emo kid because only an emo kid or like a scene kid or something could like do that inflection with their voice during that song that very specific, like, growl. Yeah, no, Kyle Gallner played it a little too accurately. Like, what was your Vampire Freaks username? I know what you are. 100%. 100%. Do you want to get into quite literally the most important scene of the movie? I love the kissing scene, obviously. But, like, I think, like, the most important scene in this movie is the scene that comes right after. Obviously, when she's talking about how she became the succubus. The fact that there are references to Evil Dead in this, the layers are crazy. Like, Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama, I love you so much. Just, like, subtle nod to it, because, like, she technically is, like, a deadite. The kissing scene happens, and every young queer woman everywhere died 
like I mentioned previously at the beginning of this episode, sat in their room and replayed it over and over and over again. And we're like, why do I feel like this? Anyways, delete search history. Time to go to dinner. It doesn't feel fetishistic. It feels very necessary in this movie. Because I know a lot of people love to be like, oh my god, this was catering to the male gaze and blah, blah, blah. You just think that because, like, they're hot. And, like, the marketing for this movie very much did cater to men, which is why it failed so hard at the time. That scene was so important because it shows us that this was not unrequited, that this was not one-sided, this was mutual. But right after that is what I think is the most important scene of the movie and what kind of encapsulates the entire theme of the movie. It is the sacrifice scene um, where Jennifer is telling Needy what Low Shoulder did to her in the woods and why she is the way that she is now. I was in film school around the time that Maleficent came out, and I remember that also being kind of compared with Jennifer's body in terms of these really like iconic scenes where it's such strong symbolism of a woman being like cut down or like losing her power in some way. And in Jennifer's case, even just like being cut down from like, you know, her little pedestal that she was holding herself on. And it's always like such an obvious, strong symbolism for rape. That's exactly what I wrote down. The sacrifice scene being an allegory for rape and taking a woman's innocence. But I love that it's the opposite. Instead of her losing her powers, she gains them because of this um, and gains them to specifically take out her anger and enact revenge on men who similarly just want to use her for her body or just want to take advantage of her in some way. I think it's so incredible. It is in its own way, a rape revenge film. It's that she gets this power technically, but it is like more of a curse. Like that anger is, you know, it's giving her some level of power, but at the same time, it's not some great gift that is like, you know what I mean? It's very, it's very much that like, yeah, she's survived this and she's come out stronger for it, but she shouldn't have a reason to have been strong about that in the first place. Also just the fact that like, she ends up dying in the end because of it is so tragic. Like, this is genuinely a tragedy to me. It's about a woman who, not even a woman, a girl who wants revenge for being taken advantage of, and she wants to enact that revenge on any other man who attempts to take advantage of her, any man who falls into the trap of her beauty or thinking that they could use her for their own sick pleasure, basically. She looks to Needy, her best friend, for, like, love and comfort and, like, just to feel seen and, like, have someone be like, it's okay. And instead, she doesn't get that. She gets stabbed in the back, like, quite, not quite literally, because she gets stabbed in the front, but <laughs> basically. And it's this kind of thing that, like, a lot of women go through where, like, they are punished for speaking up about what happened to them. She can't comprehend what happens. Also, not like a deeply important detail, but just to tie in with what you said, like, she's not even a woman. She's literally a girl. She never refers to her victims as men, even when they are like, you know, like older. She's always calling them boys. Like they, she's just a girl. Like she's so young, which just adds to how sad everything is. She's a girl. That's the biggest part of this. She is still a girl. She's still in high school. Like she had her whole life ahead of her. I mean, this obviously derailed her life entirely and she's trying to find some positive in this and you can see that as she's explaining this to needy being like 
And she's trying to, like, overhype it and be like, look, like, I'm like an X-Men. Like, I can heal really fast. Like, isn't this great? And you can also tell that she is so scared and, like, so upset about what's happening to her. And she's, like, looking to Needy to be the one to be like, hey, it's okay. Like, you don't have to, like, pretend. But the second that Needy starts, like, questioning it and, like, not giving her exactly what she wants, she kind of, like, boards everything back up and then, like, backtracks and it's, like you know, you should see someone about these, like, delusions that you're having and, like, snaps back into being, like, mean. I love Jennifer so much. She is so deeply misunderstood. It's not that she was ever, like, like we were talking about, she was never this hot, mean, popular girl who was, like, take no shit, like, fuck men, all that shit. It wasn't until she was truly hurt by it that she became this way. And the only way that she found to, like, get through it was to kind of, like, romanticize it isn't the word but like to try and make it benefit her so she has to put on this like persona almost the end of the day you really have to think about it she is grappling with like unspeakable horrors and like the worst trauma that you can really go through as a teenage girl because like this experience unfortunately hits home for so many women and like young teenage girls on the outside she's presenting this very different thing than what she's feeling on the inside. But you can tell the entire movie, she's terrified. She's confused. She doesn't know what the fuck happened to her. And she's just acting from a place of, like, fear and just trying to, like, get her footing again. It's so crazy to me that so many girls, like, high school girls or characters that are high school girls are vilified and, like, hated so deeply for just trying to cope with, like, super traumatic events that like they never should have had to go through in the first place i remember being a fucking teenage girl also going through unspeakable horrors and like trauma that i should absolutely not have had to fucking go through and everyone around me treated me like i was the problem and if i would tell them like what happened or like what i was going through it would still be like a yeah but like you should be handling it better or like that doesn't give you an excuse to act this way and i was like it does though like it truly does so anytime i see a teenage girl that has gone through shit, acting a little crazy, I'm like, let her. She could be blowing up a fucking town right now and I'd be on her side. Like Carrie. That's another character that I think of whenever I think of Jennifer. I'm like, exactly like that. I know everyone really wanted this movie to end with Jennifer's body by whole. Violet is so much more fitting. Hello, the chorus is literally when they get what they want and they never want it again. Go on, take everything. It's literally Jennifer. It is literally Jennifer. One thing, I don't remember what the exact quote is, but it's about how like when someone puts you on a pedestal, like you almost feel trapped. Like no matter what you do, you're going to end up disappointing them. That very much is what Needy does to Jennifer. She like idolizes her and has her on a pedestal like all the time. And then every time she does something slightly wrong or like missteps, she's immediately disappointed and like let down by her at the same time she also kind of always expects the worst out of her um (laughs) i realized that the second i said i was like wait (laughs) but it's very that like their entire friendship and it's not that their friendship was ever bad because they very much both have so much love for each other and you can tell that throughout this entire movie but it's just the fact that 
Needy holds on to all of these little things that Jennifer does wrong. And not saying that she doesn't have a right to, because obviously everyone has a right to do whatever the fuck they want and f- feel however they want to feel. But in that moment in the pool scene, or as you called it, the saw bathroom ass pool. I mean, come on, especially that shot with the lights turning on. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> But that part where she's, like, telling Jennifer, like, you've never been a good friend to me, even when we were kids, like, you would pour lemonade in my bed and, like, you'd steal that and, like, do this shit. And Jennifer, like you said, she's just given in to playing that role. And she's like, well, now I'm meeting your boyfriend, so at least I'm consistent and you, I'm living up to the expectations that you have for me because you have... Like, if you're just gonna keep telling me that I'm evil and I'm a bad person, like... Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Because, like, truly felt that way about her, like, their entire friendship. She would have cut it out at some point, or she would have pointed it out at some point, because she wants that friendship to survive, and she wants to keep it. But I also fully understand how toxic, codependent female friendships work. I've been in so fucking many of them. I think something that you start, like, learning as you get older is that, like, keeping those little lists and stuff like that is really more so meant to be, like, to track a pattern of behavior for when things come to a head, if they do. And it's not meant to be, like, just a list of stuff that you get to use as, like, a shield or a defense when you're being called out for something that you've done wrong. Because, you know, it... it, when all of that bubbling, like, teenage toxicity that's coming from just having these, like, difficult feelings whether it's for that friend or not, just, you know, dealing with everything going on in your life at the time. It's like, of course, I'm never in the wrong. Like, here's the list of everything you did wrong in case you come to me to tell me something that I did wrong. Exactly. And again, that's why this movie worked specifically in high school. It had to. If they were in college or out of college and, like, adults, this movie wouldn't have made sense and it would have been a lot more toxic and deeper than it actually was. But so much of this is they were in high school and it can be summed up with that. You're not evil. You're literally in the 11th grade. I love every part of it. Like I genuinely can't, can't stress that enough. I have two fucking Jennifer's body tattoos. Sarah and I are getting matching ones. Before we go, do you want to talk about Lisa Frankenstein? Yes. Oh my God. Um, It has been a little, a, a week and a day. Since I have seen Lisa Frankenstein. You too, right? We both, yeah, we went the same day. I love it because we both went to technically the same showtime, but like since we're on different coasts, different. I have been so fucking excited for this movie since it was announced. I had a screening that I was supposed to go to of it and I didn't. And this keeps fucking happening to me where I get screenings for movies that I really want to see and then I don't go to them. And then I get so angry at myself, especially if I see it and it's really good. I'm like, Why didn't I go? Why didn't I go? This was one of them. So I'd been waiting and like I go to the movies very fucking frequently. So this trailer would play before every single movie. And it was my favorite trailer because I was like, this is one of the only good trailers that are really playing right now. Like it gets me excited. It doesn't show too much. Like I don't know what's going to happen in it, but I know it's going to be good because Diablo Cody, um, directorial debut from Zelda Williams, who is Robin Williams' daughter, Catherine Newton. Like all of the posters for this movie have been so beautiful. Like there is just so much hype around this movie for me that I was so scared. I was going to be so disappointed, but I knew I wasn't going to be. I was like, I know this is going to be a five-star movie to me. And it was. 
I also, I went to the Porter Ranch AMC to see it because it's the Nicole Kidman theater and I had to be there for it. And it was everything. I also dressed up and I looked so cute. Oh my God. It was just so fucking good. I have not been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. I want to go see it again immediately. What an incredible fucking movie. It is so early in the year, but this genuinely might be my favorite movie that I see this year just because I have been waiting for it for so fucking long and it didn't disappoint and it is so perfectly up my alley. It opened with one of my favorite songs of all time, The Promise. It's set in the 80s, like just the production design and the aesthetic of it. The cinematography, like, oh my god, this is what I want for movies. I want color. I want fun. I want camp. Like, I want blood. I want all of what this movie had to offer. And it did it so perfectly. I was gonna say, like, hey, careful. Be careful. There is still Saw 11 coming, but then I remembered the Costas Mandalore of it all. So... I'll just keep that to myself. That's enough fucking movies. Why the fuck in the Lord's year of 2024 do we not have an Amanda-centric movie? I really loved Lisa Frankenstein. It took me a minute to get properly into it because it has just been so long since I got to see something like this, especially in a theater. But after I kind of like got myself settled after just a couple of minutes, I was like, oh yeah, no, obviously I'm on board with this. You know, same vibe as Jennifer's body. I was like, I knew I was going to like it going in, but it had just been so long since I'd seen something new in the same vein of that, that it was like my brain had to recalibrate to remember exactly how to like properly process it when I was watching it. I haven't felt that kind of euphoria from like a horror romance comedy in so long. It was like I pulled my cold, dusty, jaded film watching heart out and like blew the dust off it and was like, it's okay now. And this is why I firmly believe that we should let Diablo Cody do whatever the fuck she wants forever and we should just throw an unlimited amount of money at her. Always. Let her make whatever she wants. She should have been on her like fucking 10th movie like this by now. Let woman do what she wants. She's correct. And let her do it with me specifically. Diablo, we know each other. Call me. <laughs> that wraps up this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be covering Infinity Pool. In the meantime, check out our link tree, which is WYFSM. That will have links to all of our socials, including our Twitter, WYFSM Podcast, as well as our Instagram, WYFSM Pod. It also has links to every other place that you can listen to our show. See you guys next week.